I was like, oh crap, I got to think of what to do. And I didn't want to abandon all of the authority and expertise that I had created in this industry, but I also couldn't really do travel stuff at the time because there was no interest in it. So I launched it on July 1st, 2020. Then I, I had the same problem every podcaster is, how do I grow the audience? The other thing I've noticed through over a decade and a half of blogging is that the people who give advice about blogging were not the people that had successful blogs. And the same was true in podcasting. Right. The people with six-figure audiences with podcasts are not running courses on how to do podcasting. Welcome back to Audience, a Castos original experience, broadcasting from the center of your audio universe, where the best podcasters come to find their home at castos.com. Press play right here in your podcast player every week. It's like a cheat sheet for marketing, monetizing, and growing your podcast. So good, you'll want to share castos.com slash audience with your closest friends. Okay, audience starts now. Picture this, pre-pandemic of course, that you've invested a decade plus in the travel industry and acclaimed photographer traveling to some of the most amazing waypoints across the globe. Your storytelling and reaching an audience through the literal lens of a camera, it's a dream for some, but a reality for today's guest, until that reality shook today's guest to the core. A global pandemic pulls the ripcord on travel met with the sound of a thud as his revenue streams hit the bottom of his QuickBook charts. Like any great creator, he gets to, well, creating. Did he think creating a daily podcast covering history around the world would be the thing that got him to rebound? Heck no. An award-winning travel photographer accustomed to winning more awards than his fellow peers doesn't discover an ancient statue, but TikTok, of all places, being a primary source for his podcast listens. Meet Gary Arndt of everythingeverywhere.com. That's everything hyphen everywhere. Com, the hero of today's story, who was, to not mince words, just owning the space of travel photography until that global pandemic crippled one of the world's largest industries. Get your notepads out today because there is a ton to learn from Gary's daily less than 10 minute podcast. Seriously, email me. Tell me how many times you've re-listened to this episode over the next few weeks. And by the way, if you want to start a podcast, you know the best place to do it is castos.com. Get your 14-day free trial started, get your TikTok account set up, get your ads ready, and start creating awesome content like today's guest, Gary Arndt. Okay, let's get into the show with Gary. Just to give you the backstory, so most people, if you, if you go to my social media accounts, I, I started traveling the world in 2007. I sold my home and I basically just never stopped. So I was on the road full-time for over a decade, didn't have a home, I just traveled. So I've been to over 200 countries and territories, almost every national park in the US, just haven't been to a couple because of the, the pandemic. So I traveled a lot and I was also one of the most awarded travel photographers in the world. So that's how most people knew me. So I have very large followings on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, even Pinterest mostly for, for photography and things like that. So what happened is like March 1st, 2020, I literally get back from a trip from Portugal. I feel horrible. Turns out I probably had COVID didn't, this was very early. This is before the lockdowns and everything kind of happened. And at the time there was very little in the way of testing. And that month, everything I had going fell apart. My entire business just collapsed almost immediately. The traffic to my website dried up. Affiliate sales went to zero, literally zero, 
really haven't come back. Contracts that I had with some destinations to do photography died. There was a, an event that I was going to be running called the Travel Influencer Summit, where I bring in some of the top influencers in the travel space for a, a, like an elite event. That got canceled. I was going to run some tours for my readers. Canceled. About 95% of my income dried up in the course of a few weeks. And I started, I, I know some people that are pretty high up in the travel industry and they were telling me like, this is, I was thinking this was going to be over in a month. Like I was literally, cause at the time everyone was talking about China and this is where everything was happening. And I was talking to a, a guy in China and like, we we're talking about doing a project to try to get people interested in going to China again. And we thought, ah, oh, well, this will probably be done in April. So let's schedule it for May. And uh, clearly that, that didn't happen. So of course your next natural move is, well, let's start a podcast. I was like, oh crap, I got to think of what to do. And I didn't want to abandon all of the authority and expertise that I had created in this industry, but I also couldn't really do travel stuff at the time because there was no interest in it. And I had a podcast that I'd been doing for 12 years called This Week in Travel. So I had been, I had in the back of my mind, this idea for a new show where I would and I should say, I also did another travel show a couple of years ago. CBS launched a podcast network. They hired me to, to do a travel show and that network eventually folded. And I, I kind of learned a lot of lessons in, in doing that. So I had the idea of maybe I could do a new show, but I didn't want to do a travel show. I wanted to do something that was kind of had one foot in it. I could still use a lot of what I learned, but it wasn't just a travel audience because the other thing I found is that people only care about travel when they're about to go on a trip. Other things like sports, politics, fashion, food. People care about that every day. There's always something new going on. There's a new season in sports. There's a new scandal in politics, new whatever. Nothing new in travel. The Coliseum's there. It'll be there tomorrow. Nothing changes. So I, I came up with this idea of doing a, a history show. Not, not even history, but it's, it's more than that. It's a, about 10 minutes every day, and I just explain something that people probably didn't know about. It could be a short biography of someone giving the background, telling a story of, of how something came to be, the, the origin of a word, biography of a person, whatever. And uh, that's what I began doing. And I bounced this a lot off a lot of my friends that had very successful podcasts. And they were like, this is a great idea, but this is an incredible amount of work. Because I'm literally writing a 1,500 to 2,000 word script every day and recording it. So I began, I launched it on July 1st, 2020, and then I, I had the same problem every podcaster is, how do I grow the audience? And I had done a very good job of growing the audience uh, for what I had done previously in travel. And when you look at a lot of the podcasting gurus out there that give advice, they will, oh yeah, social media, you got to have this and... And then, but, but the other thing I've noticed through over a decade and a half of blogging is that the people who give advice about blogging were not the people that had successful blogs for the most part. And the same was true in podcasting. Right. A lot of, they, they may have been podcasting for a long time, but the people with six figure audiences with podcasts are not running courses on how to do podcasting. They're just having a successful podcast and I noticed right away, it's like the people, I made an initial announcement on my social media channels. Hey, I got a brand new podcast and I saw a bump from that. So I, that, that was good. But then as I started posting about episodes, there wasn't really anything happening because they already knew about it. The people that were going to listen and were listening, the people that weren't going to listen, weren't going to listen and, and posting 
every single day I, I think was achieving nothing. And I have pretty large audiences. Like, Could you just frame for us the uh, social presence you had, you know, Instagram followers, Twitter followers, that kind of thing, before you uh, continue on? I have a very large following on Instagram. I have 190,000 followers and a verified account. I have 150,000 followers on Twitter, a verified account. I have like 110,000 followers on Facebook, a verified account. 95,000 followers on Pinterest. Okay, so it's a serious presence. And for 98% of us listening to this, we'd be like, well, that's all you need. Like, this is all you need is this social presence to grow the podcast. Um, yes or no? I started to really do a lot of research, hunting down people with successful podcasts and to hear what they would say when they did interviews. This was in late 2020, early 2021. There was Clubhouse was kind of, that was its golden age for a few weeks of what was going on there. And I, I started talking to people and I also started hunting people down for interviews that had these successful shows to, to learn what they were doing. And there was a common theme that all these people with really successful shows said, we don't really see any benefit to social media, which is the exact opposite to what everyone is telling you to do, that the people that are most successful are not doing this. And the other thing I did is people were saying, oh, TikTok is, is where a lot of what's happening right now. And I I'd never done anything on TikTok because I assumed it was just people dancing and comedy sketches, and that's all it was. Now, anyone who's listening to this already knows the title of this podcast uh, episode. So we know you're going to use TikTok. What was, the, what was the immediate reaction like? Did you immediately have something go off in your brain that said, I think I know how I'm going to tackle this to at least experiment? The way I have my show is I do a 30-second cold open where I describe the, the episode. And so I, I took the intro for the show. I have like a vertical image, just a static image. And I put them together in headliner and I create a little video and I started uploading that to TikTok. I created a brand new account just for the podcast. And that's all I put. I don't do videos of myself, or at least I haven't up until this point. And uh, I just started posting it. That's all I've done. I haven't promoted it on any other channel. I just created a TikTok account and uploaded stuff and would put in some hashtags. That's it. And every day it was just a few minutes where I would, as part of my, my routine, once the show was live, and I, in fact, I, I did it just like 10 minutes before I started talking to you, that's what I would do. And eventually it didn't do very well. I had no audience, but I, there's a threshold of, I think a thousand followers or something. You get to put a link in your bio. Eventually I got to that. And what I noticed is every so often, and you can't really plan it. One of the videos that I uploaded would go viral. And I put viral kind of in air quotes. It wasn't like millions of views, but it would get tens of thousands of views, which is something that's not possible on Instagram. And even though I had a very big following on Instagram, maybe two to 3,000 people would see one of the videos I would put on Instagram if I made it a story. Whereas the average one on TikTok would have been less, but I would get these spikes. And the spikes would then bring in a bunch of followers. And I would see spikes happen on my downloads on the days that that happened. And this is the first time I ever saw a correlation and I do not have a big following on TikTok. I have, as I'm talking to you about 4,500 followers, not huge, but I've also put very little effort into it. And I began these, these spikes began happening a bit more frequently and the average number of views per video went up. 
And the, the thing I realized, and it's very difficult to do in podcasting, period, that there was some sort of correlation between success on TikTok and podcast downloads, which is something I had not seen on any other social media platform. So look, uh, I'm a TikTok novice. Perhaps 80% of the people listening to this podcast episode might be TikTok novices. Is there a way to look at the demographics uh, of the folks who are following you and engaging with you on TikTok? Because I mean, I mean, we all make the joke that it's just for young people. It's just like you said before, dancing uh, and comedy sketches and, and things that you wouldn't really go for, for like, I don't know, that like super valuable content. Do you have any insight uh, in that or on that in the TikTok platform? Yes. And so one of the, the things that Getting demographics for your podcast is rather difficult. The only place I know that really right. provides that information is Spotify because they kind of control the whole ecosystem. And what Spotify told me, and I, I always kind of doubted if it was true, is that 80% of my audience was men and it skewed a bit older. Um, and TikTok is confirming that. A lot of my, my episodes are about history and science and it seems to attract men. I, that was not my intent, but that's just kind of uh, how it worked out. And I don't even use the app that much, to be honest. I mainly do it from my browser. Uh, that's how I, I upload all the videos. It's just way easier to do it that way. There's hundreds of millions yeah. of people. So you don't need to be Charlie D'Amico and have an audience of 80 million <laughs> followers. You don't need that. If you can, within those hundreds of millions of people on TikTok, if you can find 10,000 people who are interested in what you have to say, that's a win. And if you can convert those to podcast listeners, you don't need it. You know, that, that's all you need to do, really. But if, if you look at society in general, what does well? Reality television. That kind of lower, lowest common denominator content is, is very successful or what constantly keeps being produced. And that's also true of social media. I think we have a reality TV sort of mindset, but that doesn't mean that there isn't an audience for something a bit more serious or intellectual. It's just a matter of finding those people. So a bit of a softball question, but are you going to continue to produce and publish on TikTok? Maybe take it a step further. What, what are your initial thoughts so far? I just need to be able to grow the show. Right. And this has become, when, when you factor in the amount of work I put into it, it's, it's very little, damn near nothing uh, every day. So it certainly has paid off from, from at least a time, but it takes time as well. It took me several months before I started to notice traction and it does come in bursts. Like the, the biggest video I've posted in terms of views was a vi an episode I did about the non-Spanish languages of Spain. And it just became this massive argument with people about whether Catalonia should become independent and everything. And I just ignored it. I didn't let them do whatever they wanted. And I did another episode on uh, explaining what all the geologic eras were. And then somehow these young earth creationists got on it and started another thing, but Hey, it, it got the big spikes in number of followers each time. So that's fine. Yeah. But that's, and I, and I can't tell you what's going to kind of trend. It just sort of happens. And I think a lot of it is also largely mm -hmm. luck, depending on when you do it and who sees it and how they share it. And you can't really control it. But I would say it's it's not the biggest thing I've done as far as growing my show. So like I said, I've grown, I, I started the show a little over a year ago. I just hit a million downloads last month. But that and, and paid promotion have been two of the biggest things I've done that have been that have really worked. Okay, so this is really exciting. And I'm super pumped to try TikTok for my own podcasts. But there's a few things 
and a few warning signs I want to place for anybody who's a new podcaster hearing this story so far. Uh, sounds like some amazing growth can be had in TikTok, uh, especially if you're in a very niche category and you're putting out different content. You might, like Gary said, peel off a small percentage of the millions and millions of people that are on this platform, and that's amazing. But there's something I don't want to overlook in the journey of Gary, and that is he's he's been a content creator for many, many, many years. And not just audio form on a podcast, but in photography, exploration, and just being a great storyteller, even if that storytelling was done through the lens of a camera, there's, you know, hey, overnight success, but with billions of years of experience behind it. For the new podcaster who's listening to this, to temper some expectations, any thoughts uh, on what they should do to get their first thousand or so downloads, right? TikTok or not, how would you approach giving somebody some advice uh, for the craft of podcasting? I'm in a lot of Facebook groups for new podcasters, and I see the same thing over and over. People start a new show that is basically a ripoff of something else. It's another business or entrepreneurship show of which there are thousands. It's like, I, I really like money. So I want to talk about money all the time and they don't necessarily have anything to bring to the table yet another true crime podcast. So there aren't a lot of people doing anything different. And I think they're all doing it because it's popular and maybe you might be able to get some traction from it, but I don't, I think that if you really want to have long-term success, you have to do something unique. And yeah, when I started this, I knew it was going to be like, I was completely rebuilding my business. And I think a lot of people, they start something new and they envision success. I envisioned myself sitting in front of my computer every day for months and months and months, because I knew that's what it was going to take. And I'm also extremely data orientated where I don't just I, I don't, like I said, when I start out, I don't believe these platitudes that a lot of these gurus tell you because there's never any data to back it up. They just state it as fact. And I was like, okay, do you have any data? Can you prove it? And so the, one of the things that listening to people with very successful shows is that your best results are always going to be where there are po- people who listen to podcasts. That sounds like a tautology. But I've had a great deal of success buying ads on podcast apps. So Podcast Addict, Overcast, Podcast Republic, places like that. That has been very successful for me. And I invest many hundreds of dollars every month in doing that. And I can see a direct result in people subscribing. Because that's really what I want. Sure, I want downloads. But really what I want is people to subscribe. Because if you subscribe, then you're going to be downloading many, many, many things. And you can see a direct relationship with that. And I've, you can calculate the value of a subscriber based on your CPM rate, number of shows, number of ads per show. And for a show like mine that's daily, I've calculated that a subscriber is worth to me $14 a year. And if I added another ad, I could maybe increase that. And I'm able to acquire a subscriber through these podcast apps for about two to three dollars and that's a huge arbitrage and i've heard almost no one talk about this no one and when i look at when i you know try to pay attention to what the big networks like iheart media and wondery in these places are doing 
they're kind of doing this stuff too. They're the ones that I'm trying to to buy ads with, compete against on these apps because they're that's what, that's how they do it. They're drop they're doing promotions on their own network. So I don't know if you've listened to any shows that are like a Wondery show, but I swear to God, every week they're promoting some brand new show that they're launching, and that's how they're able to so quickly do this and doing joint promotions with other podcasters or a feed drop because 100% of the audience are podcast listeners. That's very successful. And that's one of the reasons why, for the most part, social media doesn't really work very well. You have to be able to target people. Uh, I I just did an experiment running Facebook ads, and the results were eh, not great. I can track clicks, but what I can't track is then the percentage of people that convert to an actual subscriber. And that's just one of the problems with podcasting. But yeah, you have to kind of go where the podcast listeners are. And that's where you're going to find the most success. So you have a great grasp on the uh, value of a listener, quite literally down to the dollar. You're advertising now. What are the next steps for monetizing this podcast for you that, that you're thinking of? A lot of folks turn to things like membership groups. Maybe in your case, it's more about merchandise and quite literally a travel package with maybe somebody uh, who is running a travel event in one of these great historic areas that you cover. What's it look like for you as the next step to uh, monetization? I'm a big believer in the fact that if if you have an audience, the money will come to you eventually. So that's really the goal right now. So right now I'm doing about 5,000 downloads a day, give or take, which is nothing basically when I started. And it's it's been growing <laughs> yeah, right. pretty continually every month. So I'll probably be doing around 150,000 downloads this month. I've kind of stagnated this summer, which is kind of the first summer I've had, but it picked up again in September and October. And yeah, to, to just keep growing it. And I, I foresee once I can get to a point where I can maybe get into a network or something and I, and I can start selling out my inventory more, I plan on continuing to do this to just keep growing the show and probably invest right. more into it. Jordan Harbinger has mentioned how he spends a half a million dollars a year on show promotion and doing ads on like big YouTube channels and things like that. Stuff that I can't afford to do at this point, but I definitely have begun the process of making notes. As far as other monetization, there's the typical PayPal stuff. Because I write scripts for every episode and I'm now 470 episodes in, I have hundreds of thousands of words written so I can easily take some of those scripts and I can package them into eBooks to put on the Kindle store. I can, now I'm also going to be running a tour next year. One of the things I'm going to be doing for my readers is to do an in-depth tour that goes through a lot of the things that I've done episodes on. So our first tour is going to be in Rome and we're going to spend 10 days in Rome and we're going to be getting high-end tour guides with PhDs and like history and art history to be showing us around, take care of transportation. We'll be doing some meals like the the restaurant where is the location where Julius Caesar was killed. We'll be doing another one where we can have, they actually serve ancient Roman meals, stuff like that. The interest for that's been really high. It's not going to be a big tour. I already have three people that have signed up for it. They're probably going to be a maximum of 10 and I have maybe a hundred people that are on the interest list. As far as merchandise, yeah. I'm not, I've, I would love to do it. I'm not really sure what to do it on at this point, but because one right. of the problems doing a daily podcast is it, that every day, that's kind of my focus is putting the, getting the next show at the door. You know, just as an aside, I used to manage a small tourism publication for where I'm at in the corner of the world. My father and I used to own this little uh, tourism magazine uh, years ago that we published for a few years. And I could see you actually becoming 
quite literally the voice of a tourism destination. Maybe going into a real hot spot, places that you've photographed before, places you've covered on on the podcast, and say, hey, literally, I'll be the voice for the podcast for folks who are, are visiting this area. Uh, hire me to do a 12-episode you know, tourism board thing, whatever that thing might be, where you go in and you produce a podcast specifically for that area. might even go down deeper into some historic uh, you know, reliving an event or, you know, running a, a guided audio tour or something like that. Has, has that ever crossed the radar at all? I mean, these are just sort of ideas I'm throwing out as I'm hearing you talk about this stuff. One of the problems that I've faced in the tourism industry is that there has been very little interest in podcasting. Like I said, I've been doing a travel show for 12 years and they, they just spend no money on it. They just don't care about it. So I just did a, a presentation at the first conference I've been to in a year and a half, uh, two weeks ago, on podcasting to, to tourism professionals. And I'm hoping that they're waking up to it because I think it's an incredibly effective means of promotion. And I eat my own dog food on that. I, I, I spend money promoting to people on podcasts because it works. The other thing I've been doing is... The tourism office of Spain has been buying promotions on my show. And one of the things we did is I can do an entire episode about something with Spain. And they've given me a lot of latitude as far as picking the show topic. So I've done shows on the history of the Camino de Santiago. Why did this pilgrimage route start? Things like that. I did one on Picasso, one on Salvador Dali, one on all the weird festivals in Spain where they jump over babies, jump over fires, running of the bulls, things like that. They just want people to know more about Spain. And they've never, when I met the, the woman who my contact two weeks ago at this conference, she literally got up in my presentation and said, this is the best money we've ever spent because it's, if, you, if you've ever seen like a travel show on the travel channel, it's like, oh, today we're in Venice and we're going to eat at this cafe and oh, we're, and it's just that. Whereas if you just, most people want to go. So if they go to a place, they want to see something cool that they've known about. Maybe they saw it in a movie or whatever. And the problem most people have is they just don't know about a lot of the world. They don't know the cool stuff that's there. And if they just know about it, then, oh yeah, I want to go check that out the next time I'm at that place. And so a lot of it's just raising awareness and I'm able to do that with my show. So I want to go back at something I was hinting at earlier in the show where I said, you know, this all sounds great and easy, but creating great content is not easy. And creating short form content, you know, 5, 10, 15 minute shows become even more difficult because editing, scripting, you know, critically thinking about what you're about to produce in a short amount of time is very difficult. I don't think... Uh, it gets the attention or the it kind of goes under the radar of how difficult that really is. I think it's easy because I know I, I, I do a five minute podcast of my own, which I script and I know how challenging that is to really get the good stuff in in five minutes. And then I do the typical interview show where you'll sit down for an hour and talk to somebody and that's easy. To use a bad like photography pun, which I think might align with what you're doing, I think it's easy to buy like a zoom lens and you just have all the focal ranges you need in a compact lens and you take it around with you, you can just take any photo you want, it's really kind of easy. But if you have a, a prime lens, a lens that does not zoom, you have to start thinking 
a little bit more about your shot. You have to move your feet. You have to think about, you know, framing all this stuff. And you're limited with your choices because you only have one focal length. Talk to me about producing a short form show, the format of the show, how you think of the structure, and maybe what the challenge is for you personally as the creator. So yesterday's or today's show was show number 470. I have a list, a running list that I keep, and the list is now up to 520 show ideas. So every time I come up with an idea, I just put it on this list. And I always want to keep the list greater than the number of shows I've done. That, so I never have to worry about something being there. And when it's on the list, that means that I at least have in the back of my mind a brief idea of what the story is. Because really, that's what I'm doing. I'm telling a story. The show I did today was a rather obscure one. It was on LIGO, which is the Gravitational Observatory. And most people, maybe they've heard of it, but they got no idea what it is. And I just explained, this is how it works. Because I didn't know how it worked when I first heard about it, because it actually seemed like it was impossible. And I had to dig into it. And so I just explained, this is how it works. And this is how they're able to do something which seems impossible. Or if it's history, I'll be able to just say, you kind of want to tell the basic story because it's not a long show. And some of my topics, if I wanted to, I could do an entire podcast series on it, right? I could do a year's worth of podcasts on the history of Julius Caesar, for example. But I may take, okay, I'm going to talk about the assassination of Caesar. And I just need to kind of condense it down to like the cliff notes that people can get it in like 10 minutes. And that's really what I'm trying to do is for people to understand the basics of whatever this is that they can walk away from it and say, oh yeah, this is bump up. And they at least know it's a starting point if they then want to, wanted to go and learn about more. And so that's kind of what I'm just trying to do is to give the basics and they can walk away knowing something that they didn't know before. And there's, there's been, I didn't know this when I started, there are actually a ton of benefits to doing a shorter, more frequent show as opposed to doing a longer show. One of them is there is a time commitment. Let's take, for example, Joe Rogan's show, which can sometimes go three hours. If you have a three hour show in your podcast player waiting for you, and there's a 10 minute show in your podcast player waiting for you, both of which are unplayed, most people are probably going to listen to the 10 minute show first. And the reason is it's a, it's a lower commitment. Okay. I'll just listen to that, get it done. And then I'll start this three hour show and I probably won't get through the whole thing. I may have to listen to it in batches, but the 10 minute one, I can do that right away. And I've noticed that if you look at like the stats on your, how people are listening, that I am getting way over 90% of people that are listening to the whole show. And even the number of people that listen to the ad is like 85% simply because it's so short, it's concise, and you're done. I'd also say that short form is a differentiator, right? When you're looking to, you know, the typical question, how do I grow my audience? Uh, well, create something different, create better content, yes, but create something different that is going to attract somebody to listen to, you know, your, your show versus uh, the typical daily news podcast or true crime, like you mentioned before. And I, and I think there is room for those longer shows and, and for oh, having yeah. a conversation. But I also think that the, the one hour, 45 minute interview show has kind of become the norm so much though, so that in a lot of podcasting groups I'm in, the people just work under the assumption that your show is an interview show, right? 
that they don't even they don't even question that. So, well, it's a podcast. You do interviews, and I specifically didn't want to do an interview show because I that's what my travel show is is about. And there's always a pain in finding the right guests, someone who will be interesting. Because let's face it, if you have an interview show, what's going to make or break that show are the guests, and they have to be interesting, uh, entertaining, informative, and sometimes they're not. And when that happens, then the show's not very good. Gary, this has been a fantastic lesson. I got so many notes that I have to go back. I'm going to go back on this episode and just scoop up everything you said about TikTok and finding the value of your audience listener and advertising and just your general approach to creating uh, fantastic content. It's been a real pleasure. Where can folks go to say thanks for uh, all of the great knowledge you gave us today? Wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, just search for Everything Everywhere Daily, and that, that's where you'll find it. Gary, thanks so much. Dear listener, if you're looking to start a podcast, a travel podcast, or a history podcast like our friend Gary here, go to castos.com, start your 14-day free trial. If you're at a podcast hosting company now and you're just like, hmm, this isn't, this isn't what I want. I want something more. I want some more value or another feature. Check us out at castos.com. We just launched some automation engine tools, things like integrating into a platform called ConvertKit for creating a membership uh, for your email newsletter or selling digital products. We get some Stripe integration coming soon. So if you want to sell premium content, members-only content, you can do all of that stuff with private podcasting here at Castos. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media. We would love you to do that. And leave us a review. Go to podchaser.com, leave us a review over there or Apple, wherever you listen to your podcast and like to leave reviews. Okay, we'll see you in the next episode.